It's time for JT the Brick. Big Boy Radio. And we're going balls out. Are you with me on this? Do me a favor and surprise me today. Shot down the field. Wide open Adams. Has it at the 20. 10-yard line. Goodbye. Touchdown Raiders. You can't say they're rebuilding with Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, and Devontae. Down to five on the play clock. Gets the snap. Hands off to Jacob. Stutters to the right. Burst through the hole. 20. 25-30. He's off to the races. Here in Seattle, nobody's going to catch him. 25-20, 10, ball game. JT the Brick. You don't bring in Jimmy Garoppolo if you're rebuilding. I want to go get a ring, get the silver and black back to where it should be. I am ready to go. Wake up this town. Did I miss anything? Call and let's see what you got. And now, Woo! here's JT the Brick. JT with you, Vinny Bonsignor, uh, momentarily. You don't want to miss that. Uh, Vinny's... He dives deep into these topics, a lot deeper than I do. And uh, a lot of the content that I use on this show, it's Vinny Bonson and yours. When he has something, he has something that he knows. Either I reach out to him or we get him on the show. So Vinny here will join us momentarily on exactly what's going on with Josh Jacobs as we move on. And we're going to move on. But we're going to know that the door is open and hopefully he comes back. Sooner than later, we're talking about the Raiders' all-time team. We're building that on Raider Nation Radio the safeties today, I included Rod Woodson, and I included Ronnie Lott. They're better. Were they? Was Rod Woodson a better safety than Jack Tatum? Jack Tatum's not in the Hall of Fame, and Ronnie, Ronnie Lott is with Rod Woodson, but Jack Tatum was the greatest safety in Raider history, no debate. So those are the, that's the interesting part of what we're doing here this summer. If you played for the Raiders for two years, Jerry Rice, when I get to the wide receivers, will be on the list. Will I have him ahead of Fred Bolitnikoff and Cliff Branch? Probably not. Those guys had a bigger impact on the Raiders, but Jerry Rice is not going to be left off any list. He's the greatest receiver of all time by a long shot. Vinny Bonsignor, kind enough to join us as we continue. Great to talk to him, especially a week like this where I lean on Vinny on this show and his show in the morning. He gives you a lot of information. So, Vinny, in your years now covering the Raiders exclusively, how unique was this Josh Jacobs timeline and the decision that was just made? Yeah, uh, fairly unique. Uh, you know, remember, uh, during my time covering the Los Angeles Rams, they extended Todd Gurley, a, uh, a prolific running back, in a huge way, um, a lot of money. And um, he didn't last the rest of that season, you know, uh, in 2018. In fact, he got hurt in December on a crazy hit, kind of a didn't really even pick it up necessarily, except he sort of limped off uh, the field a little bit uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles on a December night uh, at the Coliseum on a Monday night, and he was never the same from that point on. And, and you know, what's, what's interesting about that whole thing, as I think back on it, um, two days later or so, they had to bring C.J. Anderson off the street as a free agent to try to help him get through the rest of the season. Well, lo and behold, in his first game off the street, he had been cut earlier in the season by the Carolina Panthers. C.J. Anderson goes for 167 yards in a big win, and a week later he goes for 140 yards in a big win and was uh, part of the, the running back group that helped them get to the Super Bowl, and it was very little Todd Gurley from that point on. So it's just running back is an interesting position, and um, it, it sh- that showed me that you know he wasn't, he wasn't Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was a special, special talent. But um, running back is a position that you could replace. And um, I think that more and more teams are looking at it that way and seeing it that way and operating that way. It's unfortunate for running backs because I grew up with 
you know, the Eric Dickersons and the uh, Tony Dorsett's and the Franco Harris's. It was a premium position, and, and guys were synonymous, Marcus Allen, with, with the, the team that they played on, but that's no longer the case anymore. Vinny Bonsignor is our guest. So the reports from Tom Pellicero and everybody jumped on on how close it was. I'm not looking to the, for the specifics of who was in the car, where the, what parking slot he was in, but it leads you to believe that Josh felt good about the negotiations compared to Saquon Barkley. We both weren't in the room. You have sources, I have sources. But in general, in general, what was the negotiation like? And what do you think is the talking points going forward if he eventually does get a contract? Yeah, I think by the time, um, you know, it got right down to it, um, you know, every and the people that I trust uh, that have an understanding of, of, of where things were at that point, there was a extremely competitive offer uh, on, on on the table. I'll put it this way: um, I was surprised. Uh, you know, I felt like there was no chance that it would would happen, um, but it, it got much closer than I thought uh, it would. And part of that was 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 the Raiders um, willing to to be a little bit selfish. And when by, when I say selfish, I, I'm talking about. Uh, maybe going against what the market trends are right now, um, whereas maybe some other teams, you know, aren't necessarily willing to go there on on a, on a running back. I think the Raiders felt good about where they were going uh, with somebody that they really do value in Josh Jacobs, given his age, his leadership, his production, you know, all of those things. They were willing to go um, a little bit higher than what the market trends are right now. Uh, it wasn't able to happen, unfortunately. It wasn't the outcome that the team or or Josh Jacobs you know, had in mind. Uh, but the sense that I get, it w- was, uh, you know, on a disappointing day, there were still some um, good feelings and a good vibe uh, about it, uh, which is why I think that eventually Josh Jacobs will, will show up and, and play this season. I wouldn't, if I was him, I'm not stepping foot uh, in training camp. And I don't think the Raiders are necessarily upset about that. You know, you want to keep him under bubble wraps anyway. Remember, if he gets hurt, if he signs the tag and he gets hurt during training camp, nobody wants to consider that scenario obviously you don't want anybody to get hurt but if it did happen they're on the hook now for 10.09 million dollars because that's guaranteed for injury so in the team's case and the and the players case it's it's, it's much more um prudent mm-hmm. uh, for him to to just kind of stay away until uh the 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 real games begin uh, in in September and i do think that it, you know provided Josh Jacobs continues on the track that that he started last year um, stays healthy and all those good things. I think there's a there's a decent starting point uh, to pick up talks when they're allowed to do that again uh, after at the end of the next season for a long term deal that that keeps them in Las Vegas and with the Raiders. Yeah, Vinny Bonsignor joins us. What fascinates me about talking about this topic all week, and I've talked about it a lot. There's only there's only one league leader in rushing, one, and there's one player in the league that at running back leads that position and reception yards out of the backfield. So when we think about this franchise tag, it only affects about three, four, five guys max in an entire league, not the second string, not the third string. And a lot of these organizations got four running backs in their corner uh, running back room. We had five last year. So when you look at this, this is why Saquon Barkley and others can get really pissed off for lack of a better word. And I'm thinking we're seeing this with Austin Eckler. He thinks he deserves to be in this conversation. Derrick Henry's been the best running back out there. He's going to make a stand. What do you think this union of running backs is going to accomplish if they can accomplish anything now? Well, uh, I don't think they're going to be able to accomplish much at all mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, you're talking about having now to deal with the NFL Players Association. The CBA doesn't come back into play for, what, another six, seven years or so? It's into the 2030s that we're talking about that. 
heck, I'm not even sure Austin Eckler gets the franchise tag when he becomes a free agent at the end of that next year. And that's that's something that I think fans need to kind of understand. Like, like uh, you know, I see all oh, the Raiders don't want Josh Jacobs. If they don't want Josh Jacobs, they wouldn't be paying him within a couple hundred thousand dollars of the highest paid running back in the NFL right now. Like $10 million, that money represents the high end of running backs. It's, it's, it, his salary is more than 16 teams are paying their entire running back rooms. The, 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 the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles, who waved goodbye to Miles Sanders because they didn't want to pay him uh, what, what he ultimately got from the Carolina Panthers, which is about six point you know, change million dollars, mm-hmm. They're paying their entire running back room less than what Miles gets this year uh, from the Carolina Panthers. So the notion that the Raiders um, aren't interested in Josh Jacobs or rewarding Josh Jacobs, they used the franchise tag on him. That's not necessarily a slap in, that's not a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. It means that they value uh, a, a player um, at the high end of that position group. They just aren't able to come up with a long-term deal. So he's making uh, decent money for a running back just on the franchise tag alone, and it's an investment that the Raiders are making uh, in him when they could have just said, done what the Eagles did and said, we'll figure it out with some other players uh, behind them um, and do it on a, on a cheaper basis. But they're actually willing to pay a, a high end for a running back, even though it is on the franchise tag. Vinny Monsignor joins us. So if he did get a contract extension that they agreed on, or as we agree, he'll play on the franchise tag most likely. Did you expect his workload to be this heavy going into the this year, this year coming up here? Because it was pretty heavy last year. With Zamir White in the background, who we have to see what he can do because he could be the next Josh, next Josh Jacobs or another great player in this league. Yeah, and um, I don't think it's all that prudent for him to have that kind of workload. Yeah. Now, Josh, you'll have a fight on your hands with Josh Jacobs because he's the ultimate warrior and the ultimate professional. And and you know, to his credit, he wasn't just productive last year; he was durable, um, and and that negated any need for any kind of a, uh, a running back by committee. But I think long range, I think the Raiders um, would probably prefer that he didn't get the amount of carries that he got. Now, you have to remember, too, uh, that some of that was by necessity, not just because, you know, he was playing so well and they didn't need, you know, Zamir White or or Britton Brown uh, to carry uh, any more of the load. But but also because, remember, Darren Waller barely played last year. Hunter Renfro kind of barely played last year. So there was a need to find other answers um, besides just Devontae Adams in terms of, of, of weapons. And, and, you know, as the season went on, too, I think there was a little bit of uh, confidence dropping in the quarterback as well. So all of those things played into Josh Jacobs being leaned on extremely heavily. I don't think moving forward that's necessarily going to be the case. Number one, they're hoping that Hunter Renfro uh, is back to being healthy. Jacoby Myers, uh, they, they hope, stays on the field. Michael Mayer, Austin Hooper, the, the, the tight ends that they, that they have, uh, if they can stay healthy, they're going to get the ball and they're going to get their touches. So just out of sheer um, circumstance now, Josh Jacobs may not be leaned on as, as, as much as he did last year. And that's kind of a good thing for the Raiders to be able to spread the ball out a little bit more and attack people in different ways and probably for the longevity of Josh Jacobs. Here's the caveat to all of that. You know, the offer that was ultimately on the, on the table for Josh Jacobs is based on, you know, hey, the season that he just is coming off of um, and, and the, 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 the want to reward him for that. 
I'm not so sure the numbers are going to look quite the same at the end of uh, at the end of this year, and I do wonder if that's going to affect how much uh, the Raiders ultimately uh, offer him. If that same exact uh, type of a deal is still is still on the table, and I'll say this too, uh, his numbers might not be as prolific as they were were last year, but that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have or isn't having as big an, of an mm-hmm. impact. Uh, I, I just think that the, the ball is going to get spread out uh, further and wider uh, this year because of the, the, the players that we just talked about. It has to. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. What a great job as always. The ball has to move around more than I last agree. year of the Raiders. Yeah, I don't see how the Raiders are going to contend for the playoffs unless they get more explosive in the passing game. One more for Josh before we get to Jimmy G and his timeline here. I'm looking short-term. I mean, Long-term's the whole season. I'm looking at at Denver and at Buffalo. And if they bubble wrap him and he doesn't play and he was here, he's not going to play in the preseason, I doubt. Last year he played in the Hall of Fame game. He really has to be ready in Buffalo. I mean, the only way I think you can beat Buffalo, there's not going to be a weather issue. It's not a snow game. He's got to be the guy that takes the air out of the ball and just eats the clock. And you could say the same thing in Denver with mile high and the cardio that needs to play in that game on the road. And he's been successful there. So how do you see him staying in shape, not in the shape of under the umbrella of a team at the Raider facility, which is the best in football. So he'll be at a hundred percent when he decides to play. Yeah. And I think that uh, there's, there's a couple of important weeks uh, during this, uh, this training camp that's coming up. The first is um, you know when the Raiders uh, welcome in the San Francisco 49ers over in uh, Henderson at the practice facility for a week, a week's worth uh, of joint practices ahead of their preseason game, and then the very following week, uh, the Raiders are on their way to Thousand Oaks uh, to practice against the Rams um, for you know before their preseason game on Saturday night over at SoFi Stadium. And I think those practices, assuming Jimmy G passes the physical and, and is ready to go, I think those are are. are Situations that the Raiders are really gonna uh, get a chance to uh, to push that whole thing forward uh, with Jimmy G. And when you know when you talk about going into Buffalo, which is obviously a difficult place to play, as will Denver. I mean, they've got a lot to answer for. It's Sean Payton, a new head coach. You know, they want to get off on on the right foot, so that's going to be kind of a hornet's nest uh, as well. But I think what the Raiders are looking for is just a, a, a higher level of efficiency offensively. It may not look as prolific as sometimes the numbers you know have under John Gruden and, and Aaron and out the way they did, uh, but but it doesn't mean that you can't also even if the the the, the yards the sheer yards and all that uh, aren't as prolific it doesn't mean you can't be turning the clock you can't mm-hmm. be taking care of the football you can't be extending drives to, in order to keep the offense their offense uh, on the other side of the uh, sidelines it doesn't mean also that you can't cash in with more touchdowns when you get to the red zone. I think that is such a key to the Raiders season. I think this is where Jimmy G kind of plays into it because he's been really good uh, in the red zone. And you could talk all you want about, well, he was part of this system and had that talent around him. I, I, I look at the Raiders offensive roster and it's every bit as good offensively as anything that Jimmy G has ever played with uh, in San Francisco. So uh, the notion that you know he had, he, had, he had way more help in San Francisco than he does uh, here with the Raiders partially is true because mm-hmm. defensively the Niners have been elite on defense. I'll give you that. But offensively, he's working with some tools that he never had necessarily right. in San Francisco. So when you get him into the red zone where he's flourished, I don't see why that shouldn't continue. Um, and, and that would help, and that would go a long way uh, toward, toward that offense being much more efficient for the Raiders than it has been in the past. 
Okay, Vinny, two more quick ones. Jimmy Garoppolo, what do we need to wait for on the timeline with the physical? What should Raider fans be looking forward to next week on your show, my show, Q's show, as we get ready for Jimmy G and this physical? Yeah, uh, in terms of, of the physical, uh, I wish I had an answer. I don't. Uh, I've tried and tried and tried. Uh, they're being, um, as, as, as teams normally are this time of year, uh, extremely closed-lid on that. We don't even know if he's taken the physical. He, for all we know, he's may, he may have already taken that physical and is ready to go uh, to start training camp. Or maybe it's, you know, he's going to take it here in these next couple of days, and we'll see on July 26th when they finally get on the field, is Jimmy G going to be part uh, of, of that group? Uh, so that's what I'm, you know, keeping an eye on. I wouldn't necessarily freak out uh, if if he's not ready to go at the very start of training camp. Um, every every sense that I get, um, uh, it feels really optimistic that he's going to be there, whether it's to start training camp or eventually into training camp and give him enough of a runway uh, to get ready for the season. Oh, by the way, he looked pretty good the other day. He went over to. Uh, uh, no. Dallas Air Force Base to take to hang out with some troops over there for a considerable time. Took a lot of pictures. He looked good. Um, I, obviously, it's different looking good in that setting than it is on on the football field. Uh, but but the way he was smiling, the way he was acting, uh, it leads you to believe that there's a lot of optimism that he's going to be uh, good to go. Um, you know, whether it's to start training camp or shortly into training camp. And of course, we're going to all be there uh, to start training camp and every day uh, from that uh, point forward to to you know give as much insight uh, and analysis as we possibly can. And fans are hoping for Marcus Peters. Right, This is one yeah. of the teams he's interested in, and I'm not asking mm-hmm. your percentage of that, but that's something to keep an eye on. I'd say it's fairly high. I would say it's okay. pretty Ooh. high um, that, that uh, we eventually see Marcus Peters. I mean, there's other teams that, that, that could mm-hmm. jump into the fray uh, as well. I, I think that uh, I wouldn't say that it's anything that's like imminent this week, but I think if they are going to go down that path, which I believe that uh, there's a good chance that that happens, uh, it would either be right before training camp or, or somewhere into training camp. There's really he's a guy. He's the kind of guy that, you know, with at this point with Marcus, uh, I think it's about preserving um, whatever gas he has left uh, in the tank, and no need to to really expend it or, or uh, anything uh, you know that you don't need early in the camp. He's good. He's a professional. Uh, as long as he's got his legs underneath him, um, you plug him in at any point. Uh, and he's going to be able to uh, to get the job done. The question is, does he still have uh, gas left in the tank? You got it. Friends want to drink tequila with you. Tell us all about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, everywhere you go on uh, at Boyd, all the Boyd properties, uh, Liquor World, Lee's Liquors, uh, you can pick up your Dos Cotas, uh, and they're extremely excited uh, about the start of the season and getting this thing revved up. So, uh, so whether it's you know w- during the game, before the game, or or unwinding uh, after a game or after work, Dos Cotas is your go-to tequila. Thank you, Vinny. We'll see you soon. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank, thank you, JT. You got it. There he is, Vinny Bonsignor. Appreciate him coming on. Uh, we had a lot there. You know, Vinny joins us for twenty minutes. That's a big deal. I thank Vinny Bonsignor for doing that. As we continue on. When we come back, we have a guest coming up here. I think it'll be an inspirational story. It inspired me to get him on. uh, Connected to the great Jim Brown, who just passed away. That had a big impact on me. And uh, someone I wanted to talk to on this topic. I think it'll be good radio. Inspirational for people who need to be inspired. And that's one of the things we talk about all the time. How could we help inspire some people? Not everyone, but on certain days. We'll get into that next. And relate it to the great... Jim Brown, when we come back.
from the opening bell to the closing bell, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit hard, and you're going to get hit consistently. We wanted to leave them with an impression that, hey, it's not a contact sport. This is a collision sport, and that's what we did. We made collisions with where I received That's the great George Atkinson. Still has a massive impact on my life. Love George Atkinson the best. JT, back with you. Al Bernstein's going to join us next week. I'm texting back with him ahead of the Crawford-Spence fight, which I can't believe I'm missing, but I got a family wedding back east, and my nephew's more important than that. Uh, I'm excited to talk to Tommy River, who's kind enough to join us. Tommy Rivers has a book coming out. He's a motivational speaker. He was impacted by Jim Brown. Uh, I was too, but not at the level of this man who's kind enough to join us. Tommy, uh, thanks for the time, first off, and congratulations with the book coming out and obviously your success as a speaker. How are you? Man, I'm blessed, man. Thanks for having me, JT. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy that Tracy was able to connect us because of the impact Rock had and everybody around Jim's life and Monique Brown. And tell us your backstory on your youth, what was going on early in your life, and how you came associated with Jim Brown. Man, you know, what's really crazy how, how the universe aligns itself, man, when one really doesn't understand this prophecy uh, early on in, in, in one's life, man. I grew up a young kid, uh, West Los Angeles, uh, got caught up in it. Hey, I just lost you, my friend. I, hold on. Stop. Hold on. We lost him. We lost you for a second, Tommy. Either you went to speakerphone, so let's just pick it up again. Go ahead. All right. Uh, let's put him on hold. Let's put him on hold. We can't hear him. Uh, he doesn't know that yet because he's talking, which is fine. Uh, we got to get him on a better line. It sounds like we he, we put us on speakerphone or we lost him there for a second. So there's an important conversation we're having here, and we want to make sure we can get him back on here as we get going. If you want to call in on the safeties and the safety situation here, as we just mentioned, George Atkinson, uh, 702-365-9200. Tommy's still talking, so that's okay. He's got a big motivational story to tell us. Radio, 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 man. It's just radio. We'll get Tommy uh, up here in a second momentarily so we get him on a clean line. And we'll get back to the safeties. Hey, kickers and punters tomorrow. Who do you have there as kickers and punters as we continue on here? And what Vinny said at the end of that interview about Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters, he, he liked it. He said the likelihood of that seems to be interesting. The reason why the Marcus Peters situation is so important. If the Raiders are able to get him at a valued a valued price, a pro bowler, and they're able to get him to come in and start, that is a pro bowler at cornerback who's still got something left in the tank. And if they're able to go from there in a different direction and get another linebacker, all of a sudden you have Marcus Peters at corner starting, and you get another linebacker who is starting, then that's just going to be incredible as if the Raiders can add two starting defensive players on this team. That would, that would be adding two starters, which would be incredible considering some of the moves that they made here in the offseason. So yeah, they added a linebacker. They added a safety. They added an edge rusher in the draft with the seventh pick overall. Everything that they were able to do here was absolutely incredible. It could be much better if Marcus Peters can come in here and be ready to go. Hey, Bobby, Bobby, hang up. He'll call back 
We'll figure this out on the other side, and we'll go from there. 702-365-9200, as we have some of the other sound that we're going to get to here on the other side. Uh, I'm a little bit furious on Patrick Mahomes. I've been taking the high road here because his wife has been a big part of that Netflix show, and I don't talk badly. I don't talk badly about people's wives. I don't want people to talk badly about my wife, but I don't want to see him on this show again anymore. I don't want to see him on this show anymore because he's on this show a lot talking about his, not hatred to the Raiders, but his ability to uh, beat the Raiders, and that's got to stop. All right, Tommy, I need your answers to be shorter. We got you up here. I'm going to interview you and go back and forth. Let's start again on the impact that Jim Brown had on your life. Uh, again, Jim, Jim, uh, is like a, uh, another father, rest his soul. Like was like a father took me into his household. Uh, I became one of the key facilitators to the American program tra- traveling with him, you know, uh, Harry Belafonte, James, and a lot of other individuals that had vested interest in social change, man, which gave me a platform to be able to do the work that I do right now today, man. You know, a uh, big loss to our community, big loss to our culture. Uh, man, he, he, he I can't say enough for him of what he's done to be a beacon of light for those that are, are necessary. It's been in darkness who, who necessarily wouldn't have a voice. He's, he's been that, that vessel, man, that God has chosen, man, to be that beacon of light for us. Nicely said. As we're talking to Tommy Rivers, how violent was it in your life as a youth, and what did Jim see? We think of him as a movie actor, as a great athlete, as a civil rights leader. How much of Jim Brown's life did he put on the line in some hostile environments to help change your life? Well, I don't think people really understand the nexus of of the dynamics of that culture that, that we lived in. You know, we lived in, in, in a society where we, we, we didn't have no higher goals but to be thugs and drugs and, 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 and things that we've seen every day based on being products of our environments, right? So then we talk about the root cause. But Jim, Jim was one who, again, was practitioner-based, like really was in the streets with us, him and, and Pete Carroll walked the streets of South Central with us and, and helped come up with solutions and protocols and structures then uh, put in place for us to really, you know, uh, be the, the ones to change the narrative in our, in, our, in our community, man, truly. Yeah, that's interesting. Tommy Rivers is our guest. So what was the big moment for you? Because I was up there at the house, at Jim's house, with Curtis Martin and Rock and other individuals over the years, Tracy, and I saw the people that were coming to Jim's house and Jim was able to turn him. He didn't turn everybody, but when it came to gangbanging and violence in the city and him going into the inner cities, what was the message that really had the impact on you to change your life? I, 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 I'll make it simple, but it's not simple. I, one of the great things that Jim brought to my life was to, to teach me the responsibility of self-determination. And that's what the American curriculum did, was to teach individuals to look inside oneself and believe in a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I believe something will or will not occur nine times out of ten, I cast my own fate. And I had to really learn and understand that I, really, I wasn't a beast of destruction, yet a creature looking for a better way. I just was a product of my environment based on the things that, that were privy to me on a day-to-day basis. And that's not to palliate uh, who I became, but that had a major uh, influence on my life, also adding to me having a lack of fatherhood in, in, in yeah. my household and my mother queen uh, uh, raising five uh, kids by herself. So a lot of that uh, played a major role in, 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 in my choices and decisions again. And, and that's not to palliate anything because I understand now what I went through then prepared me to be in a position now that God has chosen. You know, like some people say that I should be a preacher and I tell people I am a preacher. I just reach those that those in the poor pit don't reach. I'm in the streets. 
Yeah, Tommy Rivers joins us, the new book, The Roof Don't Leak. And Jim Brown had a massive impact on his life. He'll be speaking at the Script Conference at the Los Angeles Endowment Center this Friday, July 21st. So this Jim legacy is really important going forward because now that he's passed, there's so much film there's been so many discussions, NFL films. He's done so much, the movies, the impact he had on civil rights. What can you do, and what are you going to tell generations to come about Jim Brown and some of the bigger things that we don't know about, especially our listeners who never met him? Well, well you know, I, I always say, and I'll give you a visual, but it's hard for me to tell you that because I always tell you our kids don't listen to what we say. They watch what we do. Uh, I, I make sure that, that everything that I speak into existence, I also walk it because my characteristics are a reaction to my beliefs. So, so I also had to understand in order for me to teach, I had to really do a lot of introspective with, within oneself and to re-educate myself to really understand the true essence of who I am as a king. And that's what I make sure that I, I deliver to our people. We are taught to be negative and, 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 and those of obtuse ideology and not having an uh, understanding of who we are as people. That is false prophecy that is laid upon, that's been laid upon us. We have to re-educate and rethink and understand that we are the true kings and queens of our legacy and our dynasty and then start to understand from that point and look at life from a different lens. But it's hard to do so when you're raised in an impoverished community where everything you see around you is drugs, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, pimps and, and, and hustlers every day. You know what I mean? So it's, right. we're fighting an uphill battle, but at the same time, relating it back to Jim, he was a vessel, man. He, If you really look at the violence, uh, uh, the gang violence that he has stopped over the years in Los Angeles, he has really created the model of intervention prevention now that's really taken over from the grid and the mayor's office and, and a lot of different other entities, PCI, TI, the build program that's one of the biggest organizations now building and doing this work. But I mean, Jim is the liaison to when you really look at what he did with Malcolm, with Martin, when he stood up in those times to oppose uh, institutionalized racism that continued to perpetuate us at that time, he, he taught us to educate ourselves, to stand on truth and have integrity amongst mm-hmm. ourselves. Tommy Rivers, last one. Is gang violence on the decline or is it on the rise now in 2023? Oh, man, you, you know, it's an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I'll say that you have so many individuals now that really understand that no one's going to change us but us and that we have to really get back into our communities and, and really uh, uh, retrain and, and be, be beacons of light and give resources to because we understand that most individuals that come from these less enviable circumstances lack jobs, tools, resources, and opportunities. And once they have these different things, now we're talking about uh, economic growth and, and, and generational wealth now, right? Because mm-hmm. those individuals that don't have any hope in life, how can they have any vision to become greater than what they see every day? Tommy, congratulations on the speaking of the book. I look forward to reading it and continued success. You you are one of the, not many, many, but one of the many or few that are keeping Jim Brown's legacy alive when it comes to stopping gang violence, educating future generations, and doing the right thing. God bless you. Thanks for doing this. Man, thank you so much. I appreciate you, JT, man. Continue what you're doing as well, man. Thank you. And, and God bless. God bless you. All right, I appreciate that. And happy we were able to get that to work here. Uh, Tommy Rivers is speaking on behalf of Jim Brown. Jim had a big impact on me. Uh, Jim died. We covered the story, but this is on behalf of Jim Brown's people and the people of America. And they wanted to set up this interview and get this gentleman on. 
And hopefully, you know, we educate a few people on the fact that this gang violence situation that I saw up close, he mentioned, I one of the biggest events of my life is I got a chance to MC Jim Brown's 70th birthday party. And Pete Carroll was there. Bill Belichick was there. I mean, it was big. And it was at a theater in Los Angeles. And I was the MC. I just basically introduced people and they came up. But I got a chance to talk to Pete Carroll. And he saw me. And I got a chance to see the former gangbangers who were sitting in the crowd. I was up at Jim Brown's house when he had a group of two gangs come together and meet. And Curtis Martin was there and I was there. I was the only white, I was one of the only white guys in the house. No doubt about it. And these guys came to Jim's legendary home above all the homes, above Brad Pitt's, Leonardo DiCaprio's. It was stuck in the 70s, which was kind of cool. Jim didn't want a brand new house and knock it down. Had a beautiful pool, had a view, and man, in that room. And I'll never forget looking in the corner and Curtis Martin was playing chess by himself. Just playing chess, Hall of Famer now. And just playing chess and listening and Jim's talking. And the cars, the cars in that neighborhood that had to drive up from South Central to park in that neighborhood. And everybody came without weapons. Everyone left without weapons. And Jim was able to speak to them as there was a lot of gang violence going down the hill from the top of Beverly Hills where he lived all the way down on the top of Sunset. Big impact on my life. And, you know, that guy came in and that guy was lost. He was a lost soul. And Jim Brown saved him. So I'm happy we're able to do that. Maybe it has an effect on some young people who are listening to the show about knowing they can make better decisions and get out of that lifestyle. 702-365-9200. I'll tease ahead some of the issues we got coming up tomorrow with kickers and punters. What makes this topic a little bit more complicated than you think on the all-time kicker and punter list for the Raiders? It's the summer of fun. Ninth caller right now, 702-365-9200. You'll get qualified to win four tickets to an aviators game. We're going to qualify you. And then you'll have a shot at winning the weekly grand prize trip this week. Seven days Alaska cruise for two. Get me on that. Or you can take the 3000 cash. I'd take that too. Take the trip or take the cash. It's the summer of fun. Ninth caller, 702-365-9200. As I'm looking to get in the pool, man, looking to cool off here. I haven't even looked at the temperature today. Uh, yeah, I got to look at that now, Bobby. 109, you're saying? Man, five hours of radio straight. Scottsdale, 113 today. LA, 88. Tempe, 114. And then beautiful Las Vegas, 109. You were right. 109 degrees, but it's a dry heat. Jack Tatum played nine of his ten seasons with the Oakland Raiders. A member of one of the best secondaries ever, Tatum made his mark as the unit's enforcer. I play a hard-hitting game. I just like to uh, have receivers think about me a little bit while they're trying to catch the ball. I think it's a big factor if you can get a receiver thinking about you, but then he can't be concentrating on you and the ball at the same time. Jack Tatum, no doubt, arguably one of the greatest of all time, should be in the Hall of Fame, the paralysis to Daryl Stingley. A story that connects him, also the Immaculate Deception with Frenchie Fuqua, the collision when Jack could have came in and just knocked the ball down. Game would have ended, but the hit, he was the assassin. What happened there? And the hit on Sammy White in the Super Bowl, which is probably the most iconic hard hit 
in the history of the Super Bowl, just standing over him with that arm movement there. What a player. What an impact guy, uh, Jack Tatum. Uh, Tomorrow we're going to get to the kickers and the punters on the Raiders' all-time team. Uh, This gets really unique because Daniel Carlson, I think, is going to – he's on pace to be one of the greats if he continues to do what he's doing. He does, but he's got to kick in Super Bowls. He's got to kick in playoff games. Jeff Yeager, 1989 to 99. Chris Barr, 1980 to 1988. George Blanda, Sebastian Janikowski. I only got three. I only got three of them, and there's some good kickers on that list. Give me your top three kickers in Raider history at JT the Brick. Get ahead of it on Twitter, and then we'll get to the punters. And I got a lot more to say about the punters. Coming up, Leo Aragu's friend to the show. Love the way he played. There's been some good... Marquette King. Marquette King, very misunderstood human being. Uh, In Vegas all the time, his significant other is a fighter, a combat fighter. Can't believe he's not kicking in this league anymore. Can't believe it. He's not punting. Because, again, maybe he was a little bit out there at times. Maybe the fit with the Raiders was getting tired or old. I thought he was a great kid. A lot of very misunderstood guy. And he's kicking in another league when he should be kicking in the NFL. I would think he would be, but hasn't caught on there. We'll mention his name as we get to that topic again. So, again, thanks for qualifying for our summer of fun. Everybody is doing that. We really appreciate that. A couple of things I wanted to play before we got out of here that I think is really important here. First off, uh, what Ian Rappaport had to say earlier today on Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley. I would say I'm not there yet. I would, it would be a surprise for either of these guys if they didn't see the field in 2023. It's not going to be a Le'Veon Bell situation, at least historically. Certainly that is not something that, – that would be a, a big surprise. But what I would expect is for Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs to not show up for the start of training camp. And as we talk about this over the next several weeks, it is important to note these are not holdouts. None of these guys are under contract. They're not subject to fines. They can basically show up whenever they want. They only start missing game checks if they actually miss games. So theoretically, both of these guys could show up before the season at some point in the middle of training camp, collect all their money, and be fine. But I would expect after the organization, and both organizations tried, after they failed to reach long-term deals to put these two guys up among the highest-paid running backs in the NFL, the players now have a say, too. I would not expect either of these guys to show up to start training. So the big topic is who's going to show up? Who's going to be the first to show up? Is it going to be Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs? I would think it'd be Josh. It doesn't seem to be as contentious with the Raiders as it is with the Giants, but that could change. So the question is, when does Josh Jacobs show up? Does he show up for the last preseason game to be on the sideline there and not play? Why not? I mean, that would be the time to come in before – the last preseason game to kind of meet with the team and be in the locker room and all that. I don't know. Or do you wait till after that? That's going to be his decision. It's going to be his decision and the agent's decision. And I hope he makes the right one when it comes to that issue. Hope he makes the right decision on what's going to happen here. And we'll get to that because there's a lot going on. Also, I had to get to this Draymond Green story that's trending. A lot of people are upset about Draymond Green as he went on record on a podcast about the altercation that he had with his teammate, and Jordan Poole ended up being let go by the Warriors and moved. Here's Draymond. I don't just hit people. Dialogue, of course, happens over time, and you you usually ain't just triggered by something like that fast, you know, right. to that degree. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a team, you know what I'm saying? Like, ain't nobody on my team triggering me, you know, in an instant. 
you know, we know stuff that you don't say amongst men. You know what I'm saying? We, we, you know, we know, you know, things that you have to stand on. That's Draymond explaining that. Draymond had the leverage to do that to a teammate and punch him in the face. Hasn't happened much in the history of sports where guys don't get in trouble or suspended. The Warriors wanted no part of a suspension. The Warriors veterans took control of that situation. Took control of that situation, no doubt about that. And do we have time for this Robert Turbin by Bobby? Robert Turbin, former, won a Super Bowl backing up Marshawn Lynch. And when you look when he was with Seattle. So he won a Super Bowl as a running back. I interviewed him earlier today on Mad Dog Sports Radio on Jacobs and the running back market. Listen to this. I mean, the Raiders want Josh Jacobs on the team. You know, like they want him on the team, right? They value him and what he brings to the table. But unfortunately, it really ties back to the collective bargaining agreement. This is what was agreed on. And if you're a general manager and you're drafted in the first round, you're on a four-year deal, and your four-year deal is capped, it's structured the way that they collectively agreed to that, and then you have a fifth-year option. And let's just say, for argument's sake, the Raiders, for example, you know, even though they declined Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option, let's say they didn't, right? So now you get Josh Jacobs, and I think on a fifth-year option, he would have made around like $8 million. But here you are, you know, going into year five, You've carried the ball pretty much, you know, 200-plus times every year in your career, pretty much 150 times every single year of your career. So you've got all of this wear and tear on it. You've dealt with an injury or two before throughout your career. And so, you know, from a business standpoint, if you look around the roster, which position would you franchise? More than likely, it's going to be the running back spot. Five, six years into your career, there's no GM that's going to break the bank for a running back with all of those carries already on their, you know, on their record as far as their career is concerned. And so, but the, but the, but the CBA did that. The CBA did that. All right, so I thought that was important because Robert Turbin won a Super Bowl and he was a running back and he had a nice career. It wasn't as I don't think it was impactful as Josh Jacobs could be, but he's got a Super Bowl ring. Josh doesn't, and that's going to be the other big thing for Josh Jacobs: the decision he's going to have to make. Because I don't think the Raiders would franchise tag him twice. I would doubt that. I don't know if they want to do that. They can do it. That's above my pay grade. But this is going to be an important moment for him coming forward because if he has a pleasant experience with the Raiders this year and the Raiders play well and better than expected, which I hope is the case, his legacy is going to be in play with Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson, the great running back, Pete Banaszak, who played here all time. Or will he want to jump to a team that he thinks he can get a ring quicker? Because everybody doesn't forget this. Kansas City's going nowhere. Patrick Mahomes is not leaving Kansas City. The Raiders are going to have to get by Patrick Mahomes to win a championship. And that's what Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels and Mark Davis, Mark Davis, is trying to do. They're trying to build a sustainable team that could take multiple shots at Kansas City over the next couple of years. If that happens this year, next year, the year after that, that's the plan. You know that's the plan. Anybody knows that's the plan. you got to get through Kansas City just like the Clippers and Denver got through the Warriors, right? Denver was nowhere near the Warriors for how many years? not even on the map all of a sudden do they not have something sustainable that can get through the warriors yeah they do did it happen overnight no it was through the draft getting fortunate with Nikola Jokic 
Jamal Murray coming back from injury, and now they have something that they think is sustainable, sustainable to go out and beat the Warriors. Man, that's tough. That takes some luck. That takes a tremendous skill set. It takes patience, and a lot of people don't have patience. So we're going to see what's going to happen going forward here. Jimmy Garoppolo and his availability next week, which we hope is the case here. You know, the Steelers today signed Alex Highsmith to a four-year, $68 million extension. Man, Alex Highsmith, who the Raiders will play in their home opener, along with a guy named T.J. Watt. That's what the Raiders are trying to do. They're trying to find Alex Highsmith and T.J. Watt, and they got it with Max Crosby. They have that player with Max Crosby. Hopefully Tyree Wilson will be that type of player. Uh, thanks again to Tommy Rivers, who joined us on the, his, his impact with Jim Brown and Vinny Bonsignor, which was great. Vinny was fantastic, and uh, appreciate him coming on. Al Bernstein, hopefully in the next day or two, for Spence Crawford. That fight is amazing. Just going to be incredible. Thanks to everybody who contributed with the safeties. There were a lot of honorable mentions. Eric Turner, you know, Van, you look at some of the players that were here. Tyvon Branch was a good player. We mentioned some good ones. But I think uh, Ronnie Lott and Rod Woodson were on my list. I, I'll sleep well putting those guys on my list. I'll tell you that. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Q's on deck. He has a big show lined up every day. Puts a lot into what he does here on and off the air. We all appreciate that. I need a beverage, some lunch, and uh, come back and do this tomorrow. Everybody else, have a great rest of the day. We appreciate you.